Geno Smith is off to an unexpected red-hot start. Has he played his way into a new contract for the Seahawks? Rob Rang and I are going to discuss and debate on Tell the Truth Tuesday here on Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for Tell the Truth Tuesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for you poor Mariners fans that are reeling from the finish of that game, just know I feel your pain. As a Blue Jays fan, you guys did it to us last week. So let's uh, get our mind off the end of that game a little bit and talk a little bit about football. We're going to talk Geno Smith. Has he played his way into a contract extension for the Seahawks? Might he be the quarterback in the future? And nobody realized it even a few weeks ago. We'll discuss and debate on that a popular player returning to the Seahawks. And of course, we're going to take a look at what's new with the Arizona Cardinals Seattle's upcoming week six opponent. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. One of the most popular players from the past decade of Seahawks football is returning for a third stint. According to Tom Pelissero, Bruce Irvin is going to sign with Seattle's practice squad worked out for the team today. Rob, it's interesting because he tweeted a couple days ago that he was flying back out to Seattle, and I actually thought briefly, might he be working out for the Seahawks? But there hadn't been any other murmurs out there about him even wanting to play this year, and yet here we are a couple days later, and not only does he want to play, he's going to be joining Seattle's practice squad, and this doesn't just feel like one of those ceremonious moves where they're just trying to bring a veteran in just so he can coach up younger players. This is a team that is struggling to rush the passer, and set the edge, and they got some injuries at defensive end and outside linebacker as well. So there may be a spot for Bruce Irvin to actually contribute for this football team. Absolutely. He is going to contribute to this football team. And I don't know that he is necessarily going to produce any statistics whatsoever because, as you said, Corbin, he is now a member of Seattle's practice squad, which does not guarantee that he is going to get a spot on the active roster. But similar to a year ago when Seattle brought in Adrian Peterson and suddenly we saw a switch in Rashad Penny, I think that bringing in Bruce Irvin, one of the most pound-for-pound toughest Seahawks that they've ever had uh, in, in this franchise's history. And certainly over the last 20 years, there is no doubt in my mind that bringing Bruce Irvin in is going to add elements of toughness to the Seahawks, the Seahawks edge rushers that we simply have not seen yet. This is a move to light a fire under Daryl Taylor to be a little bit of an influence on Boye Mafe. This is a move, again, that is not necessarily going to add to the career numbers that Bruce Irvin, former first-round pick, number 15 overall all those years ago by the Seattle Seahawks. I, I don't think that it's necessarily going to add to his career numbers. I do think that it is going to add to the grit of the Seahawks roster. I love this move because I think that it is needed. I, I have not seen the grit, the physicality, that junkyard dog mentality that we've talked about so many times in the past. Frankly, I think the Seahawks have lacked that, and Bruce Irvin has that in spades. And he is going to bring that type of mentality to Seattle. I promise you, 
the Seahawks are going to be tougher moving forward just because the fact that number 51 is walking back into that roster. Yeah, I think there is absolutely no reason to be batting an eye at this move. You're a fan. I have seen some of our listeners that have been tweeting, you know, this guy is going to be 35. He hasn't had a sack in a couple of years. What's the point? But this is a no-lose addition. At worst, you're bringing in a veteran that is popular in the locker room. I mean, as soon as I posted an article about him returning, it took Quandre Diggs less than a minute to quote tweet the article with his excitement. I mean, players in this locker room that have played with him before are fired up. He's one of the most popular players in the fan base, too. I mean, they want to shout Bruce again at the stadium, and we don't know if that's going to happen. Again, he's going to be on the practice squad to start off, but I love that you mentioned Daryl Taylor and Boye Mafe because this does feel kind of like that Adrian Peterson situation last year. We saw the impact that he had in just a short time on Rashad Penny and all the other young running backs for the Seahawks. Bruce Irvin can have that type of an effect. And we're talking about a guy that when he came in the league and he's admitted this second time that he signed the Seahawks a couple of years ago, that he was immature coming in the league. There were character question marks galore with this kid coming out of West Virginia. And yet being around Cliff Averill and Brandon Meebane and some of those other veterans along the defensive line, he learned not only to be a professional on the field, he learned how to carry himself off the field. And he's much more mature now having that kind of an influence in the locker room for a player like Daryl Taylor for boy Mafe. That's you can't understate the value of that. And I think especially for Daryl Taylor, because I see a lot of parallels in playing style here. I think Boye Mafe is a little different style. He looks more like a traditional defensive end, whereas Bruce Irvin played that outside linebacker, that Sam spot for the Seahawks for several seasons. Most of his time in Seattle has been as that hybrid outside linebacker, and he's got the size to play in a 3-4 as an outside linebacker too. He came into the league known as a pass rusher, and over time, he developed that grit. He developed the ability to set the edge, the toughness needed to be able to defend the run. So just having him out there leading by example is going to be invaluable for Daryl Taylor. And maybe, as you said, it ends up lighting a fire under him because he just has not played well early on this season. Whether it's been rushing the passer, he had a strip sack against Atlanta, and that's pretty much been it. Had no pressures the other day in New Orleans. His run defense, for the most part, has been underwhelming. He's been getting bullied up front. He needs to learn how to play the game at a professional level. Who better to learn from than somebody that made the same journey coming out of West Virginia and had his lumps in the road early as a situational player? That's what Bruce Irvin was. He had eight sacks as a rookie, but he was a situational reserve pass rusher. He had to grow into an every down player. Having that kind of a guy who's already experienced this and successfully made that journey to being a starter and every down caliber player, again, it's invaluable for Daryl Taylor. It really is. I mean, when Bruce Irvin came into the NFL, and again, he's a first-round pick of the Seahawks, uh, he was 6'3", 250 pounds, and ran a 4'4", in the 40-yard dash. I mean, his M.O. was that he was a speed rusher. And yet when he came to the Seahawks and not only was that a very effective edge rusher, I think he had, you know, 10 sacks or so his rookie season, uh, you know, that was kind of the, the, the knock on him. He was just a speed rusher and completely changed his game. Uh, to be one of the more physical players, the point of attack, uh, you know, in, in the current Seahawks history, um, you know, his ability to play at the point of attack, to be able to drop back in space as a traditional outside linebacker. 
Uh, I think that really the reason why he is being brought in is, again, to light up a bit of a fire under Daryl Taylor because Taylor has that similar athletic ability. But at the same time, and I, and I don't mean to be critical about players' fashion and things like that, but I thought that Daryl Taylor in the beginning of this season and walking in with the sunglasses and all that, he was kind of walking around as if he had already – become a, a star for the Seahawks as if he'd already become a leader for the Seahawks, not only in terms of production, but in terms of true leadership ability, he would be the guy that others should kind of rally around. And obviously that has been a flop to this season, uh, you know, and, or at least to this point in this season. And so that's what I think that the Seahawks feel like they brought in Adrian Peterson to get Rashad Penny turned around and the results speak for themselves. I, I think the same thing here with Bruce Irvin being brought in to kind of get Daryl Taylor and, and certainly to a lesser extent, uh, you know, Boye Mafe, Alton Robinson, whoever, like, all right, if you want to play at the NFL level, you're going to have to just ramp up the physicality here. And that is something that Bruce Irvin has done. And yet, he is more athletic than any of those guys, other guys that we just mentioned. So for a, a player like him as a first round pick, which Taylor was not with Mafe was not with which Robinson was not any of the other edge rushers for the Seahawks. None of them have been first round picks. And yet to see a guy demonstrate that physicality, I think just kind of shows you what you have to become if you want to be successful in today's NFL. So I love this selection, even though, again, I don't necessarily think that Bruce Irvin is going to come in and, and be much of a player for the Seahawks in terms of production. I do think that what he is able to bring as a coach on the field, something that Pete Carroll has done over and over again. Uh, I really think this is a home run kind of a signing for the Seahawks because I do think that you are going to see a little bit of that defensive turnaround that every Seahawks fan has been waiting for all year long. Yeah, we'll see whether Bruce Irvin ends up playing any snaps on Sundays for the Seahawks. He's going to start off on the practice squad, depending on what kind of shape that he's in. I'm assuming that he's in pretty good shape because he had to work out and it didn't take the Seahawks more than a couple hours and he was under contract and they had signed him. So he must have looked pretty impressive. That being the case, maybe he does get a chance to play some snaps on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. We'll find out. He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. You can throw him in the lineup and find ways to get him involved. And it might just be a case where they just want him on the practice field and he wants to be around the game and still be able to maybe have a chance to play. We'll see where he ends up fitting in. But I see this as a no-lose situation that could pay big dividends off the field. It could pay some big dividends on a field for a team that's looking for some consistency off the edge, rushing the passer and defending the run. Up next, Geno Smith. He's been one of the most consistent players for the Seahawks. In fact, he's been one of the most consistent quarterbacks in the entire NFL. The narrative is changing. At the beginning of the season, it was, is he going to beat out Drew Locke? Now the narrative is, does he deserve a second contract? Rob Rang and I are going to look at that next here for Tell the Truth Tuesday. Has Geno Smith earned an extension? We'll get to that here in a moment. Fall is chaos in your pants. You're overheating one second and freezing the next. To be ready for anything, you need the underwear that can handle everything. So it's time for Tommy John underwear. Tommy John's breathable lightweight fabric has four times the stretch of competing brands. They come with a no wedgie guarantee. That's always good news when we talk about underwear. Thanks to a non-rolling waistband and legs that never ride up. 
Plus, they feature a horizontal quick draw fly, and a hammock pouch support stops the awkward swing and slap, giving everyone something to be grateful for. With over 17 million pairs sold, people love Tommy John underwear. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. I personally love wearing Tommy John's because the breathability and the comfort are second to none, no matter what time of year. Go to TommyJohn.com slash locked on right now for 20% off your first order. 20% off at TommyJohn.com slash locked on. TommyJohn.com slash locked on. See the site for details. You're listening to Tell the Truth Tuesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my friend from Prime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure that you check out the NFL key predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. Locked On's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend, including Sunday and Monday night football, plus betting advice from the field's leading experts at Bet Online. Follow NFL key predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. And typically, Rob, in this episode, we're looking at individual topics on offense, defense, and special teams. Our last look at the previous game. Well, we had a good chance to break down a lot of those topics yesterday, and we have been getting a flood of questions from our listeners about the future of Geno Smith because of how well he has played in these first five games, how he stacks up with the rest of the league. It's crazy how the narrative has changed because week one or week two, after the 49ers game, I remember a number of our listeners that were sending us messages, it's Drew Locke time. Let's get the backup in. Let's see if we can get this offense rolling. Here we are a few weeks later. Geno Smith stacks up favorably against the elite of the elite in most major passing categories. And the narrative is switched to not only is Geno Smith the starter, is he our guy beyond 2022? And really that begs the question, has Geno Smith earned an extension and how should the Seahawks proceed with that if they believe that he has set himself up to be a starter under center for them beyond this season? Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. I mean, it truly is a testament to Geno Smith. I, I think you also can give a lot of credit to both Pete Carroll, John Schneider. They, they saw this coming. It's why they made the trade. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Shane Waldron as well. But the statistics speak for themselves. I mean, Geno Smith, his accuracy has been just undeniable. I mean, it, it's been very rare that you've seen Geno Smith throw the ball into double coverage. Um, we, we have seen just some perfect throws. I mean, Russell Wilson gets a great deal of credit for his accuracy on the deep ball. And I don't think that Seattle has lost anything with, with the caliber of throws that Geno Smith has attempted and more importantly, completed against tight coverage. I mean, it has really been spectacular. Now, at the same time, I would argue, as I did yesterday, that the Seahawks finished 1-9 and nine on third, third down conversion rate against the Saints. And that felt like a winnable game in the Seahawks failed to win that game. They've won two of the five games that they've played so far this season. So while I certainly think that the conversation should be opened, that the Seahawks should be talking about Geno Smith as their quarterback beyond this season, because he is on a one-year prove a deal. And uh, I think that that's the conversation we're going to be having here is what kind of money might he be asking for moving forward? 
I think that that is something that has to be proven out over the course of a season, not just a five game sample set where again, the Seahawks are two and three, their two victories being against a Denver Broncos squad that is vastly underperformed, at least according to expectations prior to the year. And the Detroit Lions team that finished with the second worst record in all of NFL football a year ago. So again, my argument would be, Hey, Gino has been spectacular. I will be the first to admit that I was not anticipating this level of success so far, but while the Seahawks are two and three in the season, without trying to pat myself on the back too much, I'm five and zero oh in predicting their wins and losses so far this year. I want to see Geno Smith win a game at the end of the at the end of the game, um, rather than just putting up flashy statistics to justify the type of money that his statistics would suggest that he deserves. Yeah, let's talk those statistics for a second. Those of you that are watching on YouTube, Geno Smith right now, categories that he is in the top three in the NFL. This is staggering. 75.2% completion rate. He's still first in the NFL by a pretty comfortable margin. 9.6%. That's his completion percentage above expectation. Again, very comfortably ahead of the rest of the NFL, according to next-gen stats. He's first in that category. He's first in passer rating 113.1 after five games. He's third in yards per attempt at 8.3 yards per attempt. And according to Pro Football Focus, he's ele- he's number two overall with 11 big-time throws. And that's a category that we see a lot of people float around. You've got your traditional statistics, and you've got some of your advanced ones here. Any way that you slice it, Geno Smith has been carving up defenses. And the Seahawks' 2-3 and three record, aside from Week 2, that record being a losing record is falling on the defense way more than the offense. Geno Smith has delivered the goods that I don't think anybody thought that he was going to, except maybe Pete Carroll and the quarterback. Those were the two people that were confident going this season. I can be the starter and I can put up these numbers. So his agent, Geno Smith and his agent, are going to be able to float those numbers out if he continues to play anywhere close to this level. They're going to be able to float those numbers out and be like, hey, my client, is clearly a starting quarterback in the NFL, and he deserves to be paid as such. The issue that you're going to be dealing with here is, I'm not going to say this is unprecedented, because there have been a few times in NFL history where quarterbacks in their early 30s have kind of just figured it out. Rich Gannon's the last one that comes to mind. A player that was a starter early in his career, wasn't great as a starter, then was a backup for a number of years, and then he lands with John Gruden in the right system, eventually becomes an MVP and leads the Raiders to a Super Bowl, there really haven't been many other examples. I guess you could look at Steve Young. He started with the Bucs, then was behind Joe Montana all those years, and then ended up being the superstar that he was. But there just aren't very many examples, especially since 2000. I can't think of any others. Maybe Ryan Tannehill, but he was a former first-round pick that really didn't have a long window where he was a backup. It just doesn't compare when you're talking about Geno Smith with his seven years between starting jobs and for him to go out and play this way, that puts John Schneider in an interesting predicament because on one hand, nobody else was really that interested in signing Geno Smith this offseason. That's why they could wait and then eventually signed into a one-year deal. On the other hand, if Geno Smith keeps putting up these numbers, there are a lot of teams out there that need upgrades at quarterback. There will be other teams this next offseason that will certainly have interest. So, I think it puts John Schneider in a little bit of a pickle if he keeps playing this way. It's a good problem to have, 
you could still draft a quarterback in the first round next year and still have Geno Smith in your roster as the starter until it's time to put that young quarterback in. But typically when teams pick a quarterback in the first round, they want to get him out there as quickly as possible. It changed a lot in that regard. So it really hands it hand ties John Schneider a little bit if he keeps playing this way because you're put in a position to extend him now and maybe get him a little cheaper without waiting out the entire season. What if we extend him and then he starts playing like his former self? Now you're on the hook for a lot of that money. I mean, it is a complicated decision process. See, I don't know if it is a complicated decision process at this point. And I would argue there's been some other quarterbacks who have done it. Um, Brad Johnson, um, you know, helped the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a lot of success. Kurt Warner, um, had the Rams have an awful lot of success. Now, they were not second-round picks the way that Geno Smith was. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, he basically had seven years uh, of not being a starter. But it, it's not completely unfathomable to see these quarterbacks who have had to sit for a while and, and have some success. And, you know, uh, again, I, I think there's going to be some loyalty to Geno Smith, to the Seahawks. The, the, the club could certainly at the end of this year, if they chose to, just franchise him. And Given some of my thoughts here, as far as I'm concerned, you've got four options with Geno Smith right now. The first one is to resign him in season. I think that maybe can save you the most money because you don't want to get to the end of the year if Geno keeps playing this way. His price tag is just going to keep going up in a league where quarterbacks are paid handsomely if they play at a high level. So you're looking at a two to three year deal, probably in that 15 to 20 million per year range. That might seem like a lot, but then you look at the franchise tag, which you just mentioned, Rob, 31.4 million is the estimate according to over the cap for this year. So if you could get him for 15 to 20 million per year for a two or three year contract, and you can do that middle of the season, you believe he's your guy at least for another year or two, you absolutely want to do it now rather than wait for a franchise tag. You could let him test free agency, but there is always the risk of losing him. And I think the last option here, and maybe this is the one that you and I might both agree on the most, the Ryan Tannehill deal. Because Ryan Tannehill, after reviving his career in Tennessee, got a four-year, $118 million contract. He's led the Titans to a number one seed. They haven't had much success in the playoffs the last couple of years, but he's been one of the NFL's better quarterbacks the last three or four years, and he's really turned his career around. He was a little younger than what Geno Smith is now, but if Geno Smith plays close to this the entire season and you believe, you know what, we, we can win with Geno for the next three or four years, we want him to be the guy, then you're looking at a contract that's probably going to be in that three to four year range where you're looking at close to 30 million per year and that franchise tag value. But if he earns that money and he somehow leads the Seahawks to the playoffs, then, you know, John Schneider might be more willing to pay that price tag. If he has earned that, you don't want to give that kind of contract in the middle of the season, though. I would agree with you on that. You, you don't want to rush to a decision like that at the most important position on the field. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, again, that's a that's a monstrous if if he can continue to play at this level. Now, again, uh, I would say that Geno Smith proved a lot to me this past week. I don't care what he does against the Detroit Lions because their defense is horrific. But walking into the Superdome and completing the throws that he completed against the Saints was incredibly impressive. Certainly better than what I th I thought walking into that game. Um, at the same time, again, I'll use the, the comparison I made to Quandre Diggs a moment ago. And I apologize for the, the lack of connection, apparently, that I'm having at this point.
But I, I argued a year ago that if the Seahawks had the worst secondary in the NFL, as statistics were suggesting, then why are you bringing back Quandre Diggs? Because as good of a player as he is, clearly he's not making enough of an impact to make Seattle secondary that good. I don't care what Geno Smith's numbers are. You throw out all the statistics that you want from whoever you want. If the Seahawks are not actually winning football games, and again, their two victories are against two teams that are under 500. If you're not actually winning football games, then why do you want to allocate that much money to a 32 going on 33-year-old quarterback? Um, now, again, if he continues to play at this level and the Seahawks can squeeze out a possible playoff run here, then sure, you'd want to bring him back. But at the same time, at this point, week five of the NFL season, the Seahawks are tied for last in the NFC West. My argument would be use one or perhaps even two of those four selections you're going to have right now in the top 40 of the 2023 NFL draft to get yourself a young quarterback and build for the future when you're competing for championships, not for maybe a middle spot in the NFC West playoff race. Yeah, I think what we can agree on right now is there's been five games. It's still too early to be making any type of decisions on this front. Now, if the Seahawks want to get in front of this and try to save money a few weeks from now, and they're just like, look, Gino has proven to us that he at least deserves to be in consideration to be the starter the next year or two, then they might try to make a deal work out before the season ends rather than waiting until free agency. But again, there's always that risk that his play could drop off after getting the contract. And so that's one of the difficulties of general manager. That's why people like John Schneider make that kind of money. And you and I do the locked on Seahawks podcast and don't make those kind of decisions because they're challenging ones to make. We'll see what ends up happening on that front, but Geno Smith continues to impress and he's at least put himself in position now where a question we weren't asking five weeks ago has really become a legitimate one. Can Geno Smith get an extension and maybe be the quarterback beyond this year? He has played his way into that discussion up next we're going to take our first look at the Arizona Cardinals they are also two and three in the NFC West heading into their first matchup against the Seahawks this season at Lumen Field on Sunday we'll look at some additions departures and of course Rob's favorite part draft picks as well we'll get to that here in a moment BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, boxing, and golf. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline where the game starts. You're listening to the Tell the Truth Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me, as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. To all the 12s out there, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. And, of course, it's free and available wherever you get your podcast. The Seahawks will host their first NFC West matchup of the season. They've only played one divisional battle so far, the loss in Santa Clara in week two. They'll be inviting the Arizona Cardinals to Lumen Field this weekend. And it has been a struggle for the Cardinals so far this year. They're two and three, and you could really look at the two wins they had, and they easily could have lost those games. It has been tough sledding for Cliff Kingsbury's team. They've gotten off to consistently poor starts on offense pretty much every week. 
only to come back in the second half and make most of those games interesting, but they haven't been able to finish things off. And this is really a team that didn't have a lot of major changes in the offseason in terms of players that they brought in, but they're missing arguably their best player who's almost done with his six-game suspension. But DeAndre Hopkins will not be out there this Sunday. That's good news for Seattle's secondary. That's huge news for the secondary for the Seahawks because Nuke Hopkins is a spectacular player. I think they completely changes the way the Arizona Cardinals run their offense once he is back on the field. But, you know, of course, one of the big additions to the Cardinals this year was another wide receiver, Marquise Brown, who, of course, former first round pick from Oklahoma. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals made that trade, bringing him back uh, to Arizona, reuniting him with uh, the quarterback, Kyler Murray. That has changed Arizona's offense a little bit. Um, I think that it has made Kyler Murray a little bit one-dimensional, frankly. He he is basically focusing in on his former Sooners uh, teammate, and and I think that that has limited the, the Cardinals' offense. Um, but at the same time, I also think that we have seen flashes of just how dynamic this offense can be. The, the Cardinals have a very good tight end in Zach Ertz, a late-season addition by the, the Cardinals a year ago. We know that the Seahawks have struggled against tight ends. I mean, obviously what they uh, struggled with the, this, you know, the, the past week against the New Orleans Saints and previously against the Detroit Lions. You know, absolutely career days for Taysom Hill of the Saints and for Zach Hawkinson from the, um, uh, you know, from the Detroit Lions previous to that. So, you know, to me, that's one of the concerns I have facing against the Arizona Cardinals is that while they do not look that impressive on paper and they haven't made a bunch of splashy additions, you you mentioned the draft picks, Corbin. I mean, I look at their draft class and I don't see a lot of difference makers. I mean, their, their top pick was another tight end um, who has, I think, three catches on the year so far for Trey McBride, who, oh, by the way, was the Mackey Award winner in college football. I have seen very little from any of their edge rushers, but one defensive player who I think has really made some strides for them. He's not a new addition, so maybe we shouldn't even be talking about him right now. But Zach Allen has actually become their best defensive lineman. J.J. Watt gets all the press, and of course he's J.J. Watt. He deserves all the press. But you look at the, the pass breakups, the, the batting down balls of the line of scrimmage, Zach Allen has five so far this season. That's that's one of the areas I really think that the Cardinals are being a little bit underrated to this point. You mentioned that they, you know, they struggled their two and three, and their their two wins were were you know close victories. I, I would argue the same thing for the Seahawks. I think this is going to be a tooth and nail type of a fight against the Cardinals this weekend. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of matchups for us to dive into tomorrow, but. Taking a look at the roster construction, I know that there were a lot of Cardinals fans going into this season with the drama revolving around Kyler Murray and eventually got his extension. And then once the extension went through, we saw the clause that came out about how many hours he had to watch film and the discussion that stemmed from that with how much Kyler Murray plays video games. You know, there was just so much drama around this organization all offseason. Even when something good happened, you had something crazy that ended up making fans scratch their heads a little bit. And yet Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury got extensions after the way last season ended where they really struggled after a red-hot start. That is carried over into this season. You look at some of the losses that they had on this roster. Christian Kirk leaving for the money that Jacksonville gave him. 
I think a lot of people shook their heads, and I was one of them. I thought that they overpaid, and yet Christian Kirk's been a pretty nice addition for the Jaguars. And without DeAndre Hopkins, the Cardinals have missed his reliability and his versatility playing the outside and in the slot. Chandler Jones going to the Raiders. They made that move because of his age. He had some poor production by his standards second half last year. Really, most of his sacks came in one or two games. That move, it remains to be seen if that was the right one or not, because they haven't been able to rush the passer with much consistency with the group that they currently have. So you could make an argument that they're certainly missing him. Jordan Hicks, to me, is maybe the biggest name that doesn't get talked about that they are missing. They've got two really athletic linebackers. They invested first round picks in Zayvon Collins as well as Isaiah Simmons, but they don't have that rock in the middle, that leader in the middle that Jordan Hicks provided the last couple of years and deciding to cut him and move on. That was one that I was baffled by why they made that decision. And they just let a number of veterans that I thought were key pieces on this team go and they haven't had the voice to step up to replace those players. And a lot of the young guys have not had, had good starts to the season either. And so that is a bad nucleus, a bad combination to have, especially when you're struggling to protect your quarterback. Your quarterback's getting off to slow starts. Seems like he's getting it into it with Cliff Kingsbury on the sidelines a fair amount. I mean, they're just, again, there's been a lot of drama with this football team going all the way back to the end of last year when they got blown out by the Rams in the playoffs, that embarrassing performance. They haven't won at home for like a decade, it feels like. It, it's just, there's a lot of drama with this team. And yet, you know the talents there. They could show up in Seattle and put up 40 on the board in no time. They have that kind of talent, even without DeAndre Hopkins. No, they certainly do. And and I agree with you. I mean, I just have not seen much leadership at the quarterback position uh, with the Arizona Cardinals here for, for a couple of years now. Um, I, I, I just think that the Kyler Murray loves himself some Kyler Murray, you know, I mean, he is, I think enamored with his own physical talent. I mean, he, this guy can make throws that very few other quarterbacks in the NFL can make. He certainly is absolutely dynamic as a runner, but at the same time, I think that he kind of falls in love with his own game and doesn't play the team game and, and doesn't win football games uh, just because he does get a little bit selfish and is looking at his own statistics and things of that nature. So that's one of the things that Seattle has to absolutely take full advantage of. So uh, I'm looking forward to our matchup Wednesday because I think that Kyler Murray stopping him is going to be critical for Seattle to have some success. Um, at the same time, I also think that this is a team that, you know, is, is kind of leaning on some of their superstars that they, again, they, they've got a guy like JJ Watt, they, Buda Baker continues to be an absolute superstar. Byron Murphy at cornerback, another former university of Washington player has made his fair of, uh, or his share of big plays so far this season, the, 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 you know, the big play to, to result in the victory earlier this year and overtime. I mean, they, they have some talent here. It just doesn't feel like Cliff Kingsbury has been able to kind of bring this team together. So I really think that this is a team that is underperformed at this point, but at the same time, they are every bit as gifted and perhaps even more so than Seattle is. And that's what makes them a very formidable pull opponent this weekend. Yeah, this is going to be one of those games that you're looking at the record and then you look at the roster and they don't match up. Though I do think, I mentioned this during the offseason, we had our NFC West roundup here on the Locked On Podcast Network, that the Cardinals were the one team that I thought, if everything just didn't work out right, 
that they could take a big step back in this division. And to an extent, that's kind of been what has happened these first five weeks. They just have not looked like the team that started off looking like a Super Bowl contender last year. And obviously they fizzled out. That has carried over this year. And everything that transpired in the offseason, it just feels like they can't get over that. You mentioned the cohesion. That cohesion as a roster with the coaching staff, you name it, the chemistry, the culture. I have my questions about that. Where does the quarterback fit into all of that. So there are big question marks to this team, but as we'll talk about on tomorrow's show, there's no questioning the talent. So the Seahawks are going to have to worry about some really good players on both sides of the football, even without DeAndre Hopkins. That should make it an exciting matchup Wednesday. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. As we've advertised already coming up tomorrow, we'll break down six crucial matchups heading into this NFC West home opener for the Seahawks taking on the Cardinals. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.